Well, good evening, Kairos. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Whew. It's getting hot up here in the attic. And I am glad that we're, whoops. I'm glad that we are back uh, to in-person gatherings. Um, if you haven't heard already, we're gathering back on the green out Kairos Outdoors this week. So um, I hope you'll join us and we'll keep you posted as we try to gather as a worshiping community. But we're also trying to make sure there's an online option available for our online congregation. So good to see you guys. I hope you're doing well. I know the atmosphere um, as we look in our world is busy and broken. It is fragile. Um, it is turbulent. And it is a time for us as Christians to rise to the surface as kind and compassionate, articulate, and full of gospel conviction that things are not as God has intended them. To be a group of people who know that how this story ends, it ends with every tribe, tongue, and nation, every race, skin color, and personality worshiping before the throne of God. And our mission as active agents of redemption, as ambassadors of God, is to bring His will on earth as it is in heaven. And so I know that you'll join me as we lament and we repent and we continue to live sent and not just look out our windows into the world and point fingers at what's wrong, but we also have the courage and the audacity to allow the Holy Spirit to look into the windows of our soul and see what needs attention in there as well. So I'm pumped we're starting a new series called Red Letter Relationships. We're going Matthew 5, 6, and now we will be in Matthew chapter 7. Um, I love what uh, the old writer G.K. Chesterton once said. He lived uh, in the 1900s uh, in London, England, and he was a six foot four, 300 pound overgrown elf who wore crumpled clothes, had a bushy mustache, and smoked cigars. And he was being interviewed by a newspaper because he was a prominent uh, writer, author, and Christian thinker. People have nicknamed him the Apostle of Common Sense. And a reporter was sitting down with G.K. Chesterton and said to him, What's wrong with the world? Took a puff off his cigar and exhaled it and he said dear sir i am i'm sure gk chesterson could have pointed out a bunch of cultural sins things that he could have been condemning and judgmental about but he chose the christian way of introspection and realized that he himself was contributing to what's wrong with the world and i agree with him what's wrong right now i am I've got a lot of things wrong with me, and I need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to lead me into disruptive transformation and to have red-letter relationships that are full of forgiveness, kindness, conviction, mercy, and compassion that lead to transformation. And that's my hope for us as we begin to dive into the Word of God, that we get to look into our own places and in our souls and in our hearts and realize where have my hypocritical actions led to a foothold of being overly critical and harsh and judgmental in my thoughts, in my words, and even in my actions. 
Now, I have to confess to you, since we're buried some of the uh, things that are wrong with ourselves, um, I have a guilty pleasure, um, and it's called American Idol. Now, I don't care about singing competitions, really. What I just do is I wait for the outtakes where people spend thousands of dollars to fly to cities, stand in line for hours upon hours, and unleash on us a wonderful harmonic delusion of grandeur. Now, I can't, I'm not a great singer, but when these kids start to sing, I can hear the angels weep and my ears bleed. Like, it is so awful. And what are we waiting for after that moment? We are waiting for the judges to judge. We want them to issue justice and tell them to pack their delusional bags, get home, and never sing another note in your life. I'm glad in your town of population eight, seven of whom you're related to, you think you're a good singer. That's not how it works out here in the real world. And we love it. We love it when people finally get put in their place and are told the truth and they go pack it. It's not so funny when we're crying out for judgment in weird kind of ways. We don't want people to judge us, but let's just be honest. Every post you make to social media is asking for judgment. Do you like this? Am I acceptable? Am I pretty, popular, or powerful? Look at the cause that I'm about. Like, everyone judge me. And it's this it often turns into this cesspool of judging people without adequate information about their stories, their lives, um, just one slice, one picture, one quote, one representation. I'm not saying we don't need to be accountable to those things, and I'm, that's probably why I'm not on social media, but we've got to figure out what is our obsession and simultaneous repulsion with judgment. And a lot of us were like, hey, don't, don't, don't judge others, although we secretly love it. But then what happens when we talk about more serious issues? Racial reconciliation. Sex offenders, abused children, human trafficking, corporate greed, total disregard for the environment. All of a sudden, something rises up in us that demands justice and a judge to say, that's not right. That needs to stop. And yet Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Judge not, or you will be judged. That, that doesn't feel quite right, does it? We kind of understand what he's saying, but do, does that really transfer to different areas? So let's take a minute and read what Jesus is saying uh, in the context of Scripture, and then we'll see if the Holy Spirit won't lead us into all truth. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. The red-letter words of Jesus that affects our relationships. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck 
of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus just used a, a brilliant like comic strip illustration to illustrate his point about being judgmental. Right? He's given us this word picture of there's a plank, a two-by-four sticking out, a log sticking out of your eye, and you're telling your buddy, hey, come here, uh, there's a piece of sawdust in your eye, let me get that out for you, right? So here, here's what I want to call uh, our talk for tonight. Sawdust sinners surrounded by plank-eyed perfectionists who are all criticism without any concern. I know it's a long title, but I like it a lot. Right? We're in our Red Letter Relationship Series. First one I'll agree is we got sawdust sinners surrounded by plank-eyed perfectionists who are all criticism without any concern. So first, uh, I want to address what this text is not saying because there are so many false interpretations, misapplications surrounding Jesus' words. We get in trouble when we cherry-pick Scripture out of context. And with this verse, we like to make pies of permission that basically say, I can do anything I want to do and you can't judge me. Chill. That's God's job. Let Him do it. Who are you to judge me? I don't think that's what entirely what Jesus is saying in this context, and it goes against the full biblical wisdom. So let's address three areas of what this text is not saying so that we can hear what it truly is saying. This text did not say God will not judge you. God, God's not in that sentence. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For the measure that it, you judge others, you will be judged by. That's not talking about the fact that all of us will stand before the great a white throne of judgment, and we have to plead the blood of Christ, and we'll give an account of deeds done in the body, whether good or evil, okay? That is righteous justice judgment from our King and our Savior. Okay, we got that. What it is saying is it's twisting an old proverb that their audience would be familiar with, that the rabbis used. They would say, hey, for every cup of judgment you use, use two cups or two measures of mercy. So you want to make sure that it, it, it's balancing out the taste and the flavor of who God is. Jesus takes it and says, hey, whatever measure of judgment and harsh condemnation you're using towards other people, guess what? They're going to use it back to you. So don't be surprised when you are this constant critic, negative Nancy, quick to condemn, angry, social media tyrant raving, not understanding the people you're writing to or contacting or whatever, and all of a sudden people actually attack you by the same standard that you're using to attack them. The, the word judgment here, again, it's talking about unfair, unjust, and uninformed criticism without any trace of compassion or concern. 
So that's, that's what he's after here. We have to understand we are under authority. We are under the righteous judge. And he has called us to live to certain standards. But the method in how we correct others is just as important as the intention. Don't be surprised if you're an incredibly judgmental, arrogant, condemning person when people treat you the same way. That's what he's saying. Number two, here's what this text is not saying. It's not categorically calling for us to do away with discerning good from evil. We did a series uh, about this uh, a while ago called, Is That Really in the Bible? And it says, um, Christians shouldn't judge. And what we said was, Christians are called to make judgment calls. Meaning, we are called to discern. We are called to bring the full weight of our intellect and our ideas and our understanding of Scripture to judge what is right and what is wrong. Now, the way that you do that is incredibly important. I think that's what Jesus is after. I think he's uh, coming to an audience, both who's originally hearing the sermon and to us, and he realizes in the audience you probably either tend to be a fixer or a feeler. Which one are you? Naturally, in your relationships, are you the one who fixes or are you the one who feels? Now, if you're a fixer, you're the one, as soon as you see a problem, you see something wrong, you make a snap judgment, you step in, you tell a person, here's the long list of step-by-step processes of what you need to do. Here's my incredible advice. And if you follow it to a T, you'll no longer have any problems. And then as soon as you're done explaining, you quickly remove yourself from the situation. You sit back with your arms crossed and you wait for them to dig themselves out of their own grave with no kindness or compassion why they try and struggle to do it. And then if they don't follow your advice to the letter of the law or it doesn't work the first time, you get angry and you blame them, right? You think all it takes is five minutes of your brilliant wisdom and intellect and they should be magically fixed. What you don't realize is if they don't listen to you, you secretly despise them and they probably secretly despise you because nine times out of ten, they weren't asking you to fix. They were just asking you to listen. And you have to ask yourself the question, do I have the relationship equity that can handle this with this person? So when you treat everyone like a broken toy, don't be surprised when people start to avoid you. That you run to snap judgments, snap conclusions, and snap solutions. And the reverse side of that is, secretly, at the end of the day, you resent the fact that people only come to you when they need something fixed. They don't ever come to you just because they want to hang out and be with you. The measure that you judge, you will be judged by. Fixers don't like scripture verses about the unconditional, unfailing love of God. They don't like scripture verses about forgiving 70 times 7. They don't like the fact that salvation is a gift from God, lest anyone should boast. They really like working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and you need to work as hard as they do. They especially hate the parable about Jesus leaving the 99 sheep to go get the lost, broken one. And when you get there, what you need to do is tell that sheep to get up. It's his own fault for leaving, and he better never do it again. Now get out of that hole and kick its butt all the way back to the fold. Why are you ignoring the 99 who did everything right, Jesus, and going after the one pitiful, poor, lost, and broken sheep? Just forget about them. Let's 
call that sunk cost. Then we have feelers, right? This, this is probably, I can be a little bit of both sometimes. It depends on the context. But uh, feelers, we just want to sit with you. We're not really going to help that sheep out. We're just going to sit down. Oh my gosh, how does your leg feel? Are you okay? Tell me how you felt the last time they sheared you and made some Marona wool out of that. We love to empathetically join someone in their pain or their frustration or their brokenness. But it's not enough. Because ultimately, they need someone to help guide, correct, instruct, and partner with them to get out of the cyclical patterns of brokenness, toxicity, and shame. Now, feelers, we just really get upset when uh, we hear scripture, like, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Because that's what we're called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I wonder if what Jesus is looking at here is simply, hey, it's not enough just to be a fixer. It's not enough just to be a feeler. What we're after is wounded healers. People who know how to feel, people who know how to fix and walk patiently and lovingly and kindly with you on the journey of your transformation, regardless of where you're at. Because Mother Teresa once said this, if you're too busy judging people, you won't have any time to love them. Fixers or feelers? How about a wounded healer? who's not afraid to talk about the plank in their own eye, who's not afraid to say, hey, here's where I struggle, here's my brokenness, I'd love to come alongside of you. If you're willing, I will walk this with you on a gospel road towards transformation. Third problem with this text. In this world, you don't have to be discerning at all, intellectually or emotionally, when it comes to relationships. Don't worry about that. Don't judge people. Don't judge the quality of your friendships or the quality of your romantic relationships. Just accept people and just all of a sudden block out any spiritual intuition, any emotional intuition, any intellectual intelligence and just go, I need to accept you as you are. Because in our relationships, I love what Andy Stanley says, our friends determine the quality and direction of our lives. So our friends are probably some of the most important decisions we'll make. And also in terms of romantic relationships. We need an incredible amount of discernment. So for instance, um, what happens if one of my daughters, when she grows up, uh, goes off, comes home, is like, Dad, I met a guy, and I really think I might want to marry him. I'm like, okay, bring him home. Let's talk. Let's get to know him. We step out to the grill because that's where men talk about their emotions so they can stare at hot coals because they would rather have their face shoved in it than actually connect with eye contact and intimacy. Not me, but I got some friends who struggle with that. I said, hey, bud, great. Um, uh, love that you love my daughter. Tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all. I'd love to hear about where you're at in life. Ah, uh, yeah, man. Um, I'm just a, 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 I'm in a rough space. Um, I've got a violent and abusive past, and I found out that it's coming out in a lot of my relationships. I'm kind of dealing with a porn addiction, a gambling addiction, and a drug addiction to kind of medicate those issues rather than deal with them. And then because of some bad choices I've made that have been repetitive in my life, I'm $200,000 
uh, in debt, and I've got a couple other girlfriends on the side that I'm sleeping with besides uh, your daughter. Like, that got weird. Not that you sleep with my daughter, hypothetically. Regardless, he's a deadbeat. What should I say in that moment? Uh, that's great, buddy. I don't want to judge you so that I'm not judged. And as a matter of fact, since you're 200 grand in debt and you probably need to subsidize this drug addiction habit, here's my wife's wedding ring that you can have in order to marry my daughter. No, we're not going to say things like that. Why? Because we are called to be discerning in our relationships. But as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to make judgment calls, but it's not, it's making sure we're not going straight to condemnation without information. We're making sure that we're not just all about criticism and no concern. Once again, we're talking about unfair, unjust, and uninformed snap condemnations and judgments. What we're looking for is realizing that we're sawdust sinners. Oh, and we need other people to come alongside of us. And what we don't need is plank-eyed perfectionists or log-eyed legalists just nitpicking us and telling us everything we're going to do wrong without an iota of the compassion of Christ. Jesus said this about the Pharisees and the hypocrites because if you look at Jesus' story, it's interesting. Jesus is incredibly judgmental but with compassion and conviction. He's actually, he's authorized to do it, right? But his kindest words are for those who are caught in dysfunctional sin patterns and oppressed. He says to the woman caught in adultery that they're trying to kill, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Right? His harshest words are for the religious hypocrites and Pharisees who are walking around with their plank-eyed perfectionism telling everybody else, get the sawdust out of your eye. He says to them, you travel over land and sea to win one convert, and when you convert them, you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Ouch. What Jesus is against here is criticism without compassion condemnation without information. He's against fault finders who are blind to their own sin. And for us who constantly have to forget when dealing with others, do we not realize that our own faith was a miracle in of itself? It's only by the grace of God. Phileo of Alexandria once said this, Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a fierce battle. I love that. I was talking to my buddy Chris, and uh, he's got a wife, two, two small children, and he's potty training his son. He walked, he got home from a difficult day, and things were just crazy, and then again, his son had another accident, and he just was quick with his judgment, and a little bit short, and he's just like, gummit, why are we still doing this? And his wife, um, with kindness and compassion, pulled him aside and said, Do you understand that this is the most difficult thing our son has done in his life? It's just simply trying to learn how to be potty trained. And in that moment, uh, Mary's wisdom just gutted me. Realizing that for the people I'm around, the lives of my children, sometimes they're at a place in their journey where what I think is so simple 
like driving a car, you should know how to do that because I've had years of practice or grace or don't have the same um, hang-ups that they do. It's the hardest thing that they've done up until this point. And I realize not only do I do that with other people, I do that to myself. When I judge others harshly, the inner condemning critic raises his volume. And I feel like if Satan's job is to accuse me, I give him a Sabbath because I do his job for him. Take the day off. Come on, Chris. I don't, I don't care about your story, your abuse issues, all the things that have gone into wounding you, and all the practice that you've gone into healing. You should be over with this by now. Stop it. Don't do it again. That's not the voice of a loving father, is it? The voice of my father sounds a little bit more like this. Oh, son, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, being perfectionist, was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son to be a sin offering for us. Romans 8 goes on to say, because of that unbelievable love, we now have the power and the gospel to transform us. We can put to death the misdeeds of the body. We can walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. This means we have submitted ourselves to the righteous judgment of God, found ourselves woefully inadequate, and plead for the blood of Jesus Christ, not only to forgive us and save us, but to sanctify us and transform us from one degree of glory to the next. The gospel men and women, it corrects us with compassion. It heals us with hope and accepts us as we are, but dares not leave us the way that we are. Amen. So let's take 120 seconds. I just want to ask you two simple questions. I'm getting sweaty. It's hot in the attic. I need an AC unit in here at some point. Uh, first one is, just think about this past week. Where is a place where you were overly harsh in your judgment? It was unfair and it was uninformed and it was a quick snap judgment. Just ask the Lord to bring that to your mind. I oftentimes find as I sit back and reflect, sometimes I'm the harshest against people who struggle with sins that remind me of my own. Just confess that to the Lord. Ask Him to take the plank out of your perfectionist little eye and remind you that you're still a sawdust sinner in need of grace. Then I would ask you this. Is there someone in your life who you know needs more than just a fixer or a feeler? but needs a wounded healer because they're trapped somewhere right now. They need someone with empathy and authority to come alongside of them and say, I'll partner with you in this long journey of transformation and redemption. Once you got that name, look for an opportunity to reach out to them. Amen.